Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Longhorn Confidential Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcasts. Hello, Texas fans. This is the Longhorn Confidential for Tuesday, June 9th. I'm Danny Davis, the Austin American Statesman. As always, I'm joined by Mike Craven. Say hello to the people, Mike. How's it going, everybody? Okay, um, today's podcast, uh, there's some serious things to discuss, and we're going to get to those in a couple of minutes, but we just want to kind of knock out some um, recruiting notes since this is a recruiting podcast. So we're going to start with football. Um, Mike, uh, Texas got their commitment about two weeks ago from Isaac Pearson after our last t- taping. He's a punter from Australia, which uh, if you notice the trend of Texas punters, that's kind of where they get all their punters from. Uh, what do we need to know about Isaac, and what does this commitment mean for this uh, class of 2021? Well, it was time to get a punter. You know, uh, theirs is going in. You know, by the time he gets on campus, he'll be able to watch for one year and then uh, take over. You know, the plan is, you know, as a redshirt freshman. Uh, he's older. He's about 22 years old. He uh, he worked uh, for the coal mines, did some stuff there for a little while. Uh, grew up playing Australian football. Uh, didn't really pick up a, a football until he was after or older than 18. Uh, went to an assessment, did well, and, uh, you know, a couple years later, here we are. You know, how difficult is it to recruit kickers and punchers? Obviously, Texas has had some success recently. Michael Dixon was, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, one of Texas's better players of this last uh, five, six years. Uh, um, you know, Dicker the kicker, Cameron Dicker, has had a lot of good moments for Texas uh, the last couple of years. But, you know, Texas has also had some misses as a – the Charlie Strong regime can attest to when it comes to kicking. How um, difficult is it to find those kickers and punters when, you know, your coaching staff may not necessarily, that may not be what they're good at evaluating. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things that's unbelievable, unbelievably difficult. If you look at Alabama and, you know, under Nick Saban, how much success, how much talent they've had, they've always kind of had struggles with field goal kickers. We've seen LSU struggle as well. Uh, Texas, you know, a couple years ago before Cameron Dicker, Cameron Dicker came along. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think on, on the kicking standpoint, it's really tough. I think that's why you see a lot of colleges kind of let the walk-ons, you know, come on as kickers, and then whoever wins the job eventually gets the scholarship. They really like what they've seen in Australia, or at least trust the people who are running pro kick Australia, and I think that's where uh, this comes down to. You know, if Michael Dixon – uh, you know, hasn't, you know, really panned out like he was supposed to. I don't know if they go back to this well so many times, but I think it's clear that they trust the guys who are running it over there in Pro Kick Australia. They trust their evaluations. And, you know, this is three for three in a row now. So uh, with uh, Isaac's commitment, that brings Texas's 2021 class up to 11 names. Um, what's next for the Longhorns? Uh, do you anticipate any uh, any more commitments over the next uh, couple of weeks as we – really head into the summer, the summer months? Yeah, there's probably going to be two on Monday. Uh, J.D. Coffey, safety out of Kennedale, uh, 
Ibrahim or Ishmael Ibrahim, cornerback out of Dallas Kimball, both have said they're going to commit on the 15th. Uh, that's next Monday. Um, I'm not sure uh, if it's going to be Texas or not, but it looks pretty good for the Longhorns. I think the Longhorn coaching staff feels pretty good about the, both those guys. So those are probably the two big names on the list right now. Um, there's also a wide receiver from Florida, uh, Davis Alexis, who is going to be um, a Longhorn most likely, leaning towards Texas. And so that's another one to watch. So J.D. Coffey, uh, Ishmael Ibrahim, uh, and then Jaden Alexis are probably the three guys that are on the, on the watch list right now. Uh, the big news in high school, or at least in Texas high school football this week was, you know, the kids were allowed to go back to their schools and start working out and doing summer workouts after it was essentially a three-month um, absence because of the COVID-19 um, pandemic. You know, with these high school kids getting back and being able to be with their coaches and their teams and stuff like that, I'm wondering, you know, do you think that kind of opens the door? Are we going to start seeing a lot more college coaches on campuses? Or are there some dead periods and some uh, no recruiting rules still in effect? Yeah, there's, there's still no recruiting uh, on campus for either the coaches going there or the players coming to campus until the end of July. And so, you know, right now I think the most important thing, at least on the high school level, is getting high school football played. And the way to do that is to, you know, do as, as little as possible publicly to keep it all in-house. That way if there are a couple outbreaks here and there, which, you know, there, there are bound to be just statistically – you can kind of keep it in-house and know where it's coming from, know what town, know what team, that kind of thing, kind of limit the outbreak. You start allowing coaches to go to campuses or kids to go to campus, and then it all of a sudden that gets mixed up and you don't really know if it's coming from somebody in Dallas, somebody in Houston, somebody out of state. So I think college, I think the NCAA did the right thing by saying, hey, in August, if the football season's going, you know, then we can start talking about visits and stuff. But this summer, everybody stay where they're at and try to keep this thing as isolated as possible. Uh, some odds and end recruiting that, that doesn't necessarily uh, involve football, but uh, softball-wise, Brianna Cantu, who was at Texas Tech last year, utility player, she is going to be transferring to Texas. Um, UT hasn't made it official, but Brianna's a club, high school club team uh, tweeted that out over the weekend, and she retweeted it on her page. So, I mean, that seems to be um, – as much of an indication as you need. Uh, she had 216 games last year as a freshman. She can play third base and first base. And since Texas has returning starters at those two positions, it seems to be kind of a move that's being made for depth and possibly um, the future. Um, also, Wednesday, this is uh, going up on a Tuesday. So tomorrow and Thursday is the MLB draft. Texas fans um, should keep an eye on that for a couple reasons. Bryce Elder is likely to go. And then also uh, maybe – up to six of Texas assignees might get drafted, which, you know, could be interesting. Texas had the number one recruiting class this past year, so that would be a big hit to that. But also, just kind of with all the unrest and uncertainty in the minor leagues right now, where everything's gone on because of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, it'll be interesting to see if those kids that do get drafted, if they actually go to the minor leagues or if they say, you know, it's too uncertain there. I'd rather just, you know, take my scholarship and go be a college athlete for – three years. So that's going to be um, something to not only monitor on Wednesday and Thursday, but also monitor over the next couple of months um, as we get back to normal and kind of see what the state of the sports landscape is. Um, it's been a very interesting last couple, couple of weeks um, since we recorded our last um, 
podcast, obviously, um, if you've been paying attention at all, um, you know what happened in uh, Minneapolis with uh, George Floyd and um, his death at the um, hands of a Minneapolis police officer who has since been arrested and charged with second degree murder. A lot of protests, a lot of unrest across the country as uh, um, people, black, white, um, a lot of different colors, uh, you know, protest the way that black people have been treated by um, police officers and the Black Lives Matter movement has, uh, you know, been front and center um, once again. Um, Unfortunately, we're still having these discussions, but, you know, Black Lives Matter hasn't just been a, um, you know, talking point on Twitter. If you're a Texas um, athletics fan, you probably noticed your school, um, you know, paying attention and making comments about um, Black Lives Matter. And uh, a lot of athletes have been letting their voice, voices been heard. And we'll get to them in a second. But Mike, on, in your Monday Dotted Line column, you talked a lot to some parents and family members, some high school coaches. And one of the topics you talked about was, you know, a lot of these kids who are black kids, they're, you know, going to programs that are coached by white coaches. And you discussed with um, some of these people you talked to about how those coaches can um, handle that because uh, you know, that's a big deal. Um, these uh, you know, black young men and women are looking for guidance and you know, it's maybe not the most ideal thing to be having a, you know, a white person in charge of that, but that's kind of the situation. And uh, you know, some people had some good things to say. So what were kind of your thoughts after you wrote that column and talked to those people? Uh, well, first of all, it was a learning experience, you know, and I think that's something that, you know, white people need to go into this conversation understanding that, you know, we're here to listen right now and to understand and to to bridge that gap and to kind of gain more, you know, knowledge and experience on, on, on what, you know, black people are going through and what they're feeling, what they're frustrated with. And, you know, I could only get snippets of our conversations into the stories, but you know, for me personally, it was illuminating. It was a great uh, thing for to do. It was a good day. It was a fu- it was a fun day, honestly, um, to do those interviews. And you know, for me, you know, it simply just comes down to to human respect. It seems like, and just being treated like you would want to be treated, like it said, you know, treat you, you know, treat your neighbor like you'd like to be treated, and you know, that means your black neighbor too, or you know, your your female neighbor or your Muslim neighbor, and so. Um, the, the simple fact of the matter is, is that college football is a predominantly black sport that's coached by predominantly white men. And when they get all back on campus, which they are, you know, pretty soon across the country, um, there is a dialogue that needs to be had. This cannot be one of those things that's just brushed under the rug. Hey, we're going to concentrate on football. Keep your social justice warrior self out of here. You know, it can't be looked at like that the old school way the way that you know most coaches in all sports like to kind of make a singular focus and so uh, I think it's going to be important that when these college kids get back on campus and like we've seen around the country already that these head coaches and that these athletic directors and the donors and, and the people around these football players make them feel loved for being a human and being appreciated as much as for making tackles or scoring touchdowns. Uh, you know, over these past two weeks, one thing that has become a common practice is um, athletic departments and especially coaches, you know, releasing statements and posts on social media about, 
you know, um, how they care about, you know, the, you know, the black athletes and they're here to listen and they're, you know, here to help them in um, their struggles. And, you know, as with most of these trends, I mean, you can see statements that seem kind of fraudulent and you can see, you know, um, you can kind of sense some, you, you can, you can spot fakeness and, that has yeah. certainly been the case with some coaches across the country. I would even say, I mean, there's been some statement released by some Texas coaches where I've read it and kind of just rolled my eyes and said, you just put that out there because you felt that had to. Um, one coach that I do not believe that is the case with is um, Tom Herman. Um, frankly, I thought his first statement was a little late when he first released it, but he still was one of the first um, major college football coaches to say something uh, almost two weeks ago at this point. And then, you know, he had a really in-depth conversation with Brian, um, Brian Davis at, at the Statesman. That's been kind of, um, you know, caught, gone viral for lack of a better term in which he talked about, you know, double standards and um, you know, letting his players be his play, be them and kind of voice their opinions. And then Tom also, you know, the football players had a March um, last week and he joined them for that and made sure when, you know, approached by the media that, it wasn't about him. It was about his, it was about his players and the people should go talk to them. And um, he let his guys talk, which you know does not always happen um, in, in college athletics. So he let the, his guys let their voices be heard. And he seems to have been. He seems to be. You know, the, the word allies is so you know kind of cheesy and you know a cliche, but he seems, for lack of a better word, to be an ally to his players. And I was kind of wondering, you, know, how do you think Tom has kind of come off? And from what you've heard from high school coaches and parents, you know, how is his message being received by them? Because at the end of the day, these coaches and these parents are sending their kids to play for Tom Herman and have him, you know, kind of be this, their, their kid's surrogate parent for the next uh, three to four years. So how is his message being received by those, uh, those people? You know, I may get in trouble for saying this because I can't remember if it was on or off record, but I know Tim Crowder pretty well, so I'll just go ahead and say it. But he – you know, Tim, when I was talking to Tim about this whole deal, one of the things he mentioned that didn't get in the article, he said he's he's been more impressed with Tom Herman those past two weeks than he has in the past three years. And, I, I, you know, I think that speaks volumes to how well Tom Herman has handled this situation. Nobody's going to handle this stuff perfectly, especially white people, right? We're not – this is – we don't – we're ignorant when it comes to this topic that we're talking about, even the ones who – kind of get it or like you said the word ally that's used too much right like even even people that are trying to be on the right side still come to this argument handicapped and so for as much as tom herman could do for as right as tom herman you know could be when talking about something that you know he is ignorant to he's done a great job in my opinion because he keeps hearkening back to allowing his players to talk talking about listening talking about loving them you know, outside of the four quarters of football. And I think that's the thing that the players want to hear the most. They want to matter, right? That's where this whole thing started from, right? Black Lives Matter. The players want to matter on campus when they don't have their helmet on. They want to be treated and enjoyed by the fans the same way on Tuesday walking down the street as they are Saturday when they score a, a score touchdown. You know, that's where we're trying to get here is where – everybody kind of feels the same no matter where they're from and what they're doing and, and that kind of stuff. And you know, I, I think Tom's done a great job with allowing his players to have a voice. He's done a great job of 
you know, articulating what he's going to allow his players to do and that, you know, that there needs to be a change. He's acknowledged it. I'm a big believer in the 12 steps. And as a society, the first one is to acknowledge a problem. And I think Tom has done a really good job of at least acknowledging a problem and allowing his players to be individuals. Because remember, these aren't high school kids. These are grown men, right? We allow them to vote. We allow them to go to war. We allow them Buy, you know, I guess you can't buy cigarettes anymore at 18, but, uh, you know, we allow these guys at 18 to be a lot of things unless they're an athlete, and we just want them to only be an athlete, and that's what needs to stop. Yeah, going off the athlete thing, um, you know, as much as you know, Tom Herman has gotten some applause and should um, for the way he's handled it, you know, this isn't his show. This is about right. the athletes, and this is about them finding – their voice and specifically in Texas, you know, a lot of black athletes have really discovered their voice over these past um, couple of weeks and have been very impressive with how they have used their platforms and how they've used their standing as, um, you know, an athlete at the university of Texas, which is a platform that not a lot of people have to voice their displeasure about what's going on and voice, um, you know, their support of the black lives matter movement. And, um, you know, for example, Brennan Eagles, receiver on the football team, he said he may not play this season. And I don't know if that's going to be ex- the actual case when, you know, the fall happens. But that was something that garnered a lot of attention when he said that um, last week. The football team, as we mentioned, marched with, the, marched with some police officers last week. And, you know, while the optics of that may not be something that I personally agree with, but it's still something that they organized and did and that they were – um, together with and that um, their teammates who many of which are white join them in that in that movement um, athletes like Caitlin Washington on the softball team and Jace uh, Febreze on the um, uh, Febres on the uh, men's basketball team they participated in protests um, and um, posted about that on their social media platforms Cam Fields, Logan Eggleston, Asia O'Neill um, were all young black athletes posted very well-written and well-thought-out statements on their social media feeds that I would implore you to, um, you know, go out and read and take in and just examine what they're saying because, you know, they're, you know, speaking truth. They're speaking their truth. And um, like you said, these, these aren't 17, 16-year-old kids anymore. These are young adults who are realizing their voices and the platforms they have. And they have all been very impressive over these past couple of weeks with, what they've said and you know that me rambling for the past couple you know couple of minutes is kind of a segue into the question you know, how much power does the black athlete or just athletes in general have in 2020 um and as far as getting their voice heard and you know making actual you know strides and making you know having people pay attention to what they're saying how much power do these athletes have these days I think they have a ton of power, and I, I think these kids are just now learning how to use that power. We saw, you know, Marvin Wilson, a defensive lineman from Florida State, you know, kind of go crazy on Twitter because there was, you know, Mike Norvell, the head coach there, told a media member he would, he was, you know, reaching out to every individual. Uh, Marvin Wilson said that wasn't true. We got on Twitter, and, you know, by the next day, Norvell had kind of, you know, righted that wrong and stuff. You know, I think with Twitter, with Facebook, with Instagram, you know, you, you just can't, you can't sell these kids something fake anymore. You got to be real. And if you're not, you're going to get blasted on social media by former players, current players, the transfer portal. 
Um, and so, you know, not only do these players have power to speak, they have power of action. You know, they're assets. And so, you know, when you talk about Brennan Eagles and other players thinking about, you know, maybe protesting, and if that happened across the nation, it would cripple college football. And college football is a huge money maker, you know, for a lot of people. And so, you know, yeah, they, you not only do you get to speak out about your stuff in 2020 because, you know, social media platforms kind of give everybody a voice. You don't have to be interviewed to talk. You also kind of have this galvanizing, you know, way of, of, of organizing something, you know, to, to really disrupt commerce. And, you know, that's kind of the point of protest, right, is to disrupt everyday life in order to make change. That's what happened, you know, with like the bus, you know, sit-ins and, and that kind of stuff back in the 60s. And so, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that catches fire. Now, you know, I, I'm kind of with you, right? These guys are, are college-age kids that, you know, are trying to get into the NFL and get paid and that kind of stuff. You know, why limit yourself for that kind of thing? But, you know, however somebody needs to make a stand or wants to make a stand, I think, the one thing we've learned from the Colin Kaepernick thing, or at least I hope we have, is to stop judging people for how they protest or how they feel or how they want to express, um, you know, their frustrations. And if, if that's different for every single individual, I think it's our job as humans to just kind of appreciate those decisions and support them and, and you know, kind of move on with our own uh, situation, our own life, because none of us are perfect. And as a white person in this conversation, um, like you said, I think it's very important to read all of those names and all those statements that you just mentioned and, and really listen and really think about it, and really read it, and really come at it, you know, without kind of feeling attacked and without feeling like you've been in the wrong for so long and stuff like that. Really, really read these statements of these players with an open mind and you really start understanding that they just they simply just want to feel respected and loved outside of their uniform and if they don't that's our problem that's that's a societal problem and i would go as far to say that's a white people problem we need to fix it and there are enough voices around the nation saying it right now to where there's really no good excuse to ignore it at this point obviously like we said these you know young men and women have discovered their voice and they're using their platforms but i'm kind of wondering do you think this is going to be something that you know goes down to the high school level? Because high school is a little bit of a different um, different animal. I mean, these these are minors. Um, you know, their thoughts may not be as mature and thought out. Um, you know, these are still people who live with their parents, and you know, maybe are a little bit more protected by their coaches and their family members <clears throat> about saying something that you know they may. Uh, Regret's the wrong word, but, you know, they may not have thought out, thought out, you know, the ramifications, um, you know, and the backlash that may occur from them speaking out. And, you know, in the past, you know, I know that there have been stories about, you know, someone wanting to protest the anthem or something like that and a school stepping in and being like, no, that's not going to happen. And, you know, just a personal, you know, story. My wife is a former cheer coach at uh, McCallum High School and, um, her cheerleaders won uh, one year, decided to kneel for the national anthem. And, you know, even though, you know, these young ladies and there's young gentlemen on the team too, you know, really thought out their decision um, and really thought out, you know, the consequences. And, you know, there were still some cheerleaders who chose to stand and some who chose to kneel, maybe not because they 
necessarily believed in the the message, but wanted to you know support their teammates. Um, you know, there was there was backlash, and there was um, grown ups acting like idiots. Um, you know, towards a bunch of teenagers, and you know maybe they may not have necessarily thought thought that out. But um, do you think you know? With that being said, um, do you think that you know we may see more athletes be like? McCallum cheerleaders and the Austin High football players a couple of years ago and start voicing their opinion and start, you know, these forms of protest? Or do you think, you know, schools are going to step in and try to protect their, uh, you know, athletes from the world because this is an election year and there are a lot of crazy people out there who just do not care um, about, you know, the opinions of others if it doesn't line up, line up with theirs. And, you know, maybe, you know, some coaches want to be a little bit overprotective um, in these situations. Yeah, you know, I, I've been thinking about this, too. You know, I, in my head, I was like, man, we're going to see a lot of kneeling before the anthem today. But then I remember in college football, they do that before the players come out of the tunnel, unlike in the NFL where all the players are out there. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be – you know, I, if I was a head coach, instead of individually, you know, I'd try to come up with a way, like when everybody's back, we'd sit in a meeting room and be like, hey, what's something we can do to – to represent this on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, whether it's an emblem, whether it's something on, you know, a patch on the Jersey or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I do think we're going to see a bunch of demonstrations, you know, a bunch of, of, of different things across the nation in order to kind of further this message anymore, because, you know, I, these are the type of things that don't blow over. You know, I think in, 2020 we're used to something happening for a week and then going away I mean I think we're seeing it right now with COVID where we're pretending that it's gone because we're bored and so you know one of the things that I would challenge football players to this fall is to be as vocal about in December as they are right now because that that's how you know real change happens is by constant pressure and so I, I do think you know across the nation you see a lot of teams do a lot of different things to kind of bring each other together and we're going to see the teams who don't. And I, I'm curious of how that, you know, I guess everything for me goes back to recruiting. Um, but I'm always interested in kind of how people, high school kids, adults, parents are going to be watching which colleges are kind of, you know, supporting their players, which colleges are a little bit hesitant. And I wonder if that becomes a long-term talking point um, in the future. Yeah, it'll be definitely something to um... – keep an eye out of the last next couple months because you're right, you know, this message will get, you know, muted if it's not the same message that's going to be spoken in December because racism is not going to be solved by uh, tomorrow. This is going to be a long battle and um, hopefully the, um, there is as much enthusiasm about battling racism months down the line as there has been these last, uh, last two weeks. But yeah, I mean, just to close out, you know, this discussion, um, I mentioned the the McCallum cheerleaders a couple of minutes ago, and you know when that happened, and just kind of getting a front row seat about that. Like I was ridiculous, ridiculously proud of those uh, young women and young men who um, went to those protests. The ones that chose to kneel, the ones that chose to stand, because they did so as a as a team. And I've been really proud in the same way of some of these athletes who have um, found their voice. Like I said, you know the Brennan Eagles, the Caitlin Washingtons, the Camp Fields, the Asia O'Neills and um, just the way that they have, you know, use their voices, use their platforms to speak to a problem. And I would just hope that, 
everyone who's listening um, to this podcast and everyone who is a fan of the Longhorns, that they just listen. Um, that they listen to what these athletes are saying, that they listen to, you know, what people are writing. There are tons of material out there to write or to read, um, even in the Statesman, whether it's, you know, reading uh, Brian's interview with Tom or just some of the stuff that Cedric um, Golden has been writing um, these past couple weeks. And I just hope that people listen. Um, to be honest, I don't care um, what your opinion is. If it's uh, uh, contrary to, um, you know, what's being, what's being said out there, I don't need a contrarian view right now. I just need people to listen to what we're saying, empathize um, with what we're going through, and hopefully we can move forward to what is a, you know, to sound corny, better tomorrow. Because, um, you know, what's going on and what's gone on um, these past few years, which was just uh, amplified with the George Floyd death, is just unacceptable. And I just hope that, you know, we can move forward and that people will indeed think that black lives um, matter. But yeah, let's get out of here. Um, as uh, we said, Mike's the dotted line column, the one that's on Monday is definitely worth checking out. He writes throughout the week. So check out hook'em.com for that, as well as uh, Brian's interview to Tom and statesman.com for all the good work that Cedric Golden has been doing these past couple weeks. But don't forget to shoot us a review at the Apple Store or the Google Podcast app. Be sure to appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, to this uh, Longhorn Confidential Podcast. The Longhorn Confidential Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by neighbor at Zaxby's today. Order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast, and we will see you guys down the road. Thanks for listening. Peace.